Okay, so you had this guy this, who had this really great idea to drop the consumer side of PCs and only go with Enterprise. He had his whole board convinced. A big fury happened. They fired their CEO. They bring someone else in who then says, eh, I think we're going to go ahead and stick with the old strategy of staying in it with Enterprise. Everyone says, okay, I guess we'll try to figure it out and make it work. A month or two later, just kidding. What what do you think? So is that the punchline? Yep. You were telling me a joke, right? I, I guess. I. <laughs> the sad part is it's the truth, and that's Meg Whitman and HP. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Too bad for that company. So if anyone was really worried about still having their HP consumer notebook, it lives on. You know... I really like the HP notebooks. You mentioned that when, when they said they were taking them away. So. If there's a notebook that rivals the MacBook in any way, I guess it would be the HP notebooks. Those Envies? Well, the Envies are good, but we use ProBooks in the office, and those look pretty nice. Hmm. Yeah. Never used one, but I'll take your word for it. I don't want to talk about HP. I don't either. They're I'm sick of them. HP and who else is flip-flopping? Netflix. Uh, ne- uh, Netflix. And I mean, then, we don't. And they're then, flip-flopping so bad, they've lost 800,000 consumers. So, this and more, because it's time for another episode of Weekly Download. Weekly Download. And you know what? For all those out there that are listening, this podcast could be sponsored by you. Yep. How do you sponsor Weekly Download? Yeah, just go to weeklydownload.com forward slash sponsorship. Is it sponsorship? It's sponsorship. Yeah. Weeklydownload.com slash sponsorships. We do great stuff for you. We don't have any other ads, so it's exclusive. Check us out, weeklydownload.com. You can also email us at contact at weeklydownload.com. We'll be happy to set up a meeting and further discuss that. So with that being said, what's uh, on the old agenda for today? Today's podcast is about a few general things. I think there's needs to be some discussion about what Google's doing with their designs. I think Microsoft has their own opinion about designs, a little bit of Apple design, since this is what I like to talk about. That's what's on the show. But then also, I think, again, the TV kind of, or in general, the whole watching content is changing and there needs to be some discussion on that as well so but today's top download is going to be this great video did you watch it i did watch part of it okay so microsoft um i can't remember what conference this was for but they released what they think is the vision of the future so it's 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 a mix between minority report and uh, blade runner and pretty much every useless sci-fi movie you've ever seen. Um, There's a lady who can call a taxi by just going up and using her glasses, for example, or everyone has this uh, card that dynamically changes state depending on where you are and what you're doing and kind of knows what you want to see. And um, I don't know. And then there's, there's like, for example, some guy gets handed a business card and the business card can be flipped around. And every time you flip it, there's no indication as to what happens when you flip it. It just changes. And then supposedly it would know what you want to see. So this is Microsoft's idea of the future. And I think that 
you can just yell. I think there's so many things just yelling and throwing stuff. That's what I wanted to do when I watched it because, I mean, it's great that you want to be on the edge and you think about things in the movies and you change the way imagination works. But, you know, there are certain models and certain consistencies that you need to stick to when designing a user interface or, you know, designing something. I mean, imagine holding a business card-sized thing in your hand and it doing everything that Microsoft says it does. Right. I mean, do you think this is Microsoft sort of acting like a visionary, even though that's not what they've done and that's not what they're probably going to do? I think their visionary techniques should stick to the enterprise or like to what they're good at, which is mass marketing a product, you know, that has great functionality at the core and is easily adoptable. When you start talking about these like cards and, you know, everything's augmented and stuff like that, understanding what people really want consciousness. I mean, that takes a lot of time. You can't half-ass that stuff in a video and expect us to all go, ooh, this is great. If anything, it's talking. It's me talking about how much I hated this video. Right, so really it's almost more of an embarrassment because they haphazardly and half. It's quite improved. embarrassing, and I think that the comment that I was reading on my uh, uh, Google Reader, which, by the way, is a hot topic for today. But anyway, um, it says, from Sloppy Info, which is a, a funny site, by the way. This is a hilarious site. They, like, they like take pictures of things that are just horribly, like, designed or just the communication. You know how, like, right, right. the translation of Chinese, like, signs and stuff like that. But this is, like, real stuff that's happening and that's in English. So, like, another example of a picture that they link to is, like, uh, of a Coke machine that apparently coins will fall out of the, like, fall into your hand or something like that. Oh, like, God. the picture has that, where it lives, literally gives you coins, which doesn't make any sense. Right. Anyway, so they say, admittedly, this is a speculative vision sh showing rough ideas for future interfaces. Microsoft doesn't mean this literally. But the health tracker is a good example of UI thinking throughout the video. Tons and tons and tons of data presented in varying shades of blue and gray. Lots of smooth, futuristic feel with very little design towards understanding. And I think that's completely right. I mean, there is no understanding of how someone would want to see all of this stuff, all of this data, all of this thing just thrown at their face in an, in an organized fashion that isn't actually organized at all. It just seems to guess what people would want to see. Right. Overcomplicating the whole situation to begin with. Right. So anyway, I, everyone should watch this video. It's on our blog. And it's all, if you just search Microsoft Vision of the Future and you can watch it, it's like five minutes long. But if anything, it's just going to make you angry, probably. Yeah. But in talks about you know design, I think that there is something to be said about touch screens and what we're going to be, how we're going to be interacting with user interfaces. And the thing that comes to mind that's doing it in a slower fashion, in a way that's not trying to just say that this is going to happen in five years, that's actually doing things, I think, is Google. Um, you know, you've recently seen the, the slow movement towards this unified interface, right? right? We've talked about unification a few times before. I mean, Microsoft's Windows has tried, you know, with Windows Phone 7 and then soon Windows 8 is going to have the tile look. Right, the and metro UI. So it's all about the look and feel. It's not necessarily about a unification of functionality unless you talk about Google. 
So with Google, there's a unification of functionality. Like every gray menu is going to look the same and it's going to function the same. It's going to drop down the same. Every settings icon is going to look like a gear and it's going to take you to the settings for that app. Every main function is going to be a red button. So like create doc, compose email. Those are all red, very thick buttons that stick out on everything else. you know. And then when you look at reader is one that a lot of people like to, you know, point fingers at because it got rid of a lot of the functionality that was inherent in Reader. And apparently you can't use it. Let's see. I'm just going to open this up here and talk at it. But if you look at Mail, for example, too, like... Which was recently redone today. Like they rolled out the new Gmail look today. Which seems to marry a lot of the older Gmail with the newer, you know... All the rest of their apps. Gridded look. I think that's the best way to describe where Google's going, kind of a grid, you know, very engineery. I keep thinking of, I keep looking at Google apps and the way Google organizes things and think this would be great if you're an engineer because (laughs) there's functionality inherent right in front of your face. It's simple. It cuts out, um, well, it should cut out wait times, but this is taking quite a long time to load, but it's, it's very transparent and obvious. There's nothing getting in the way which is great for the expert. The first-time user, I wonder how they're going to feel about this sort of changes. I mean, a lot of the functionality in Google Mail and Docs is sort of, you have to understand it, and then then you can appreciate um, the overall functionality. So, for example, you drag um, documents into a collection, that's the easiest way to do it. And the clicking and dragging thing has become a popular way of interaction. But you can't like use a drop-down and add. At least it's not very obvious. Oh, so here's Google Reader. So Google Reader's the big red button here is subscribe. So Google is telling you the primary function of all of their apps with this red button. Here it's subscribe. Right. On Gmail, it's compose. On Docs, it's create. That's all you would want to do. So... What you wouldn't want to do right off the bat is share things. Now, why is that? I don't really know. But more importantly, is this what I use Google Reader for? Is this what people like to do with Reader, read stuff? Is that what it is or is it the sharing? A lot of people have yelled and said, oh, now I have to share things with Google Plus people that I don't even understand how Google Plus works yet. I really liked the community that was being built around sharing reader items. And to that I say, you know, when it comes to Google and when it comes to daring to innovate, another one of their maxims, it's all about going around the corner, taking that corner and going with the bigger market share. So when you use reader, what are people doing it, using it for? Reading. And when you have Google Plus and you've spent millions of dollars, what do you want to do? Market it. I mean, it it makes total sense when you're in Google's shoes. So the question is, is that who you're supposed to be designing for? The new people, the sort of bleeding edge generation? Or should you be designing for the people who have used this service all of the time? It could go either way, right? I mean, you obviously will hurt a lot of people who are reader users, or perhaps when you look at Gmail, you'll hurt a lot of people who wanted their incoming messages, their red messages, 
kind of bleeding into their unread messages. In this example, it's it's very, you know, very obvious, very where obvious where things are. And you know, how can you argue against that on the one hand, right? You would like to have all your unread messages poked up on top. But if you're wondering about other messages, well, you either scroll down or you have to find other ways to go and find it. So you maybe you'll click on an, another inbox or something. See, I have all of these sort of, I organize my mail inbox extensively. Whereas Google Mail kind of came out and said, who wants to organize stuff and who wants to delete things? Right, right? there's been lots of studies on this period, like how some say you shouldn't move anything out of your inbox. I read an article recently that a friend sent me that, that said, never delete anything from your inbox. That's what the functionality of search is for these days. But I, I still don't buy that. Like, I, like you, organize every single email. You don't have anything more than, like, 50 items sitting in my inbox See, when you look at the app revolution, I mean, that's kind of speaking to the never organize things. But it's also speaking to, if you want something, go look at it in there. Go right. find it in there. Right. So that's why I like folders in my mailbox because then if I want something that's related to Cogsci, well, I'm going to click on that folder and bring up all the messages that have to do with that. Said. I'm going to know where everything is because that's where I put it. It's like real life, you know? Yeah. I can't search my home for my keys. You type somewhere. Yeah, I have keys. to remember what drawer I put them in. So with the Google Mail, it's like, well, turns out people don't have time to do that. So... You know, we're gonna make it. We're gonna make it searchable. So, is that is that what we should be thinking about? Is that the paradigm way of thinking? Should we be thinking of figuring out new ways to interact with our world in the same way? Should we be organizing our desktops, or should we just have everything thrown on there? Um, A friend of mine just has everything on their desktop, like it's all over the place, and I just cringe. I can't stand that. The funniest one of all, I have a friend who likes to keep his desktop clean, but he has a folder labeled desktop on the desktop and then has like 700 files. Oh, God. Yeah. So it's like the worst of the worst. Yeah. So anyway, uh, do you use Reader? Are you a fan of this? I actually like Reader. Um, You used to hate it. Yeah. You turned me (laughs) on to it a little bit because you were like, hey, start using this. Yeah. I mean, how can you read a thousand things a day if if you don't use Reader? Uh, it was very old school. I'd go to every single website like 20 times a day, and then I'm like, okay, this is very counterproductive. Um, I don't use it to search or look for things or you know want to share things, so I typically don't have a problem with the new style that they've used. Hmm. You think they're going to come out with that Gmail app? Yeah, I think they should. I think they should. I mean, well, it's kind of it's kind of against what Google's tried to do, which again is another sort of arc you can take on this design thing, which is keeping everything in control on server side. Because if you do everything through do, through Google.com, then there are sort of proprietary APIs or something that can speed up the back end of Google.com. Right. right? I think we've talked about this on mm-hmm. a previous thing. And that's what Amazon's trying to do too with the silk thing. In order to improve your web experience, it's going to pre-render everything in the background with Silk on the Kindle Fire. Yeah. So with Google, if you're going to use Gmail on uh, Chrome, you're going to be rewarded with faster speeds because Chrome uses a WebKit that's proprietary to Google and can render things faster on Google. You're going to, we mentioned, is nearly predicting what you're going to do. Exactly. So now with making an app, you kind of 
let go of some of the control, but you bring up market share because apps are the way of looking. Right, and people will... It's a huge game of trade-offs, right? Whenever you design something for... When you have a maxim that says design for the world, good luck trying to meet that maxim. Because the fact of the matter is you're not designing for the world when you do things like what you've done in Reader or what you do with Calendar or what you do with Gmail, whatever Google app. You can't design for everyone. Right. But There's, I still feel like the way they're unifying everything, like it's going to take a learning curve for some people, but they can probably get more people because everything is the exact same. Like you're, you're building exactly as you said. All those buttons are the same. Everything's the same. So if people understand one service, they're going to understand every service now. On the one hand, yeah, you may you could leap make that leap, but it's inconsistent at times. So like on Gmail, for example, if you go to Gmail, the settings gear is in the corner. It's not here, right? right? So and and you can't like print and. Spot. But if you go to documents, the settings is right here. And up there still. And up there, but it's also here. And which one are you going to click on? Which one are you going to hit first? Is the right. question. Uh, if you're really going for consistency, then there ought to be some consistency like all over the place. You still got that. Big Check this out: documents and the then top. docs. What is that? Why did they shorten the word here? I don't yeah, that's, know. I, I don't like that at all. Little things. So calendar's fully spelled out. Gmail's fully spelled out. There's no Gmail in red here either. I don't know. There's so many There's so many things to talk about when it comes to design unification. and We could be here all day and it's all a, It's a huge topic. And I think that if you're going to go in that direction, just consider that your vision has to be huge. And if your maxim is to design for everyone then you have a pretty high uphill battle, right? Right. Yeah, almost, impo- almost impossible. So where are we? What's next? All right. Do, uh, so, oh, <laughs> before we move off the design why, train, uh, yeah. before we move off the design train, there's one more thing to talk about, and that's skeuomorphisms. So for those of you who don't know, skeuomorphisms are basically a design that tries to play off a real, like, a real thing in the real world. So the, 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 the example that a lot of people are getting mad at is like textures on Apple apps. So right. you, if you, or if you open up the calendar app in uh, lion, it's got, it looks like a, a calendar, bound, a yeah. leather bound calendar that sits on a desk. Or if you open the find my friends app on iOS, it's got a leather texture to it. Why? I have no idea. It feels like we're, we're rolling back in time in the sense that we did this in like the mid-90s, late-90s, tried to make things look real, and now we're, we left that, and now we're coming back to it. Well, but... We had the stupid briefcase, like with the windows and things like, you know... Right. Um, I mean, now it's looking a little more realistic, but it, I still think it's kind of cheesy, personally. What's the function of that? Is that to make people more comfortable? Is that to um, be pleasing to the eye? I personally think it has to be to make some people more comfortable because, I mean, I don't know. I don't think it's that pleasing to the eye, to be honest with you. I think it's tacky, and I, I don't particularly like it. Right. I, don't, I mean, what are your thoughts? I think that it's it, it might have something to do with pleasing the eye. I think it it's it's kind of like if you're going to touch a something, your your intimacy of that interaction changes. So you ought to play with that intimacy and kind of push the boundary of touching and computers to something that's a bit more tangible and real. 
Right. And that's why you make these book-looking contact lists or post-it notes that have a little shadow on it or the calendar app looking like a desktop calendar. I mean, but the trade-off is functionality, right? So if you look at the calendar app now, the way to make the way to add a calendar is not here. You don't add it by clicking on calendars. You don't add it by clicking the plus button, which would make, which would make sense because it's yeah. right next to calendars. You actually have to go to iCal and go to preferences and then add it that way. So but there's really, a huge so yeah. and then there's things like this, kind of like the tear marks. Like what is that doing? <laughs> you know, there's all sorts of secumorphism decisions that need to be made and that ultimately result in the trade-offs. And when you, when you read uh, Gruber's response, his is, well, Apple likes textures. I mean, that's all that is to it, really. Like, Steve Jobs liked textures. Right. There was a quote in, in the book, um, and no, I'm not going to ruin it for anyone because it's a pretty well-known quote, but the Aqua interface that right. they used for OS X, Steve said, the goal was for you to want to lick it. <laughs> well... So, I'm not going to lick my laptop anytime soon. Uh, so. They're getting away from the Aqua interface anyway, but I just thought it was interesting, especially with today's topic. I mean, look at, uh, how about like looking at the linen login for Lion, for example, too. Right. So, you know, that's another thing. Holy God, we've talked about this for like 20 minutes. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, let's As move we on. We could talk about design all day. We got to move on. What else T we got? TV. Let's talk a little bit about okay, this. Okay, TV. TV. So... You know, there's there's a lot of quotes on on Apple TV and like and Google TV and, Google TV and everything else, and we just want to remind people, and I think this is what that post was particularly for, is that hey guys, while Netflix has lost eight hundred thousand subscribers and Apple's trying to figure it out, meanwhile cable's still thriving. Right. People it's still want to watch, but it's still profitable. Like still it's profitable. still very profitable, and you know. It's all about like the ability to watch things live and bring people closer in the home, family. It's easy. You push a right. button and you're ready to go. You click up and down. Maybe it's time for the TV to have an innovation, but it ought to be imagined in a way that, you know, may, it, it's like you never knew you needed it. Like, for example, you never knew you needed TiVo until TiVo came out, right? right. You never knew that you needed an app with like augmented experiences around the TV channel until it came out. So what's Apple going to do? What's the next big thing? Groover says, well, it's all about channels, like having an app as a channel. Right. And Google TV is kind of doing this. Right. With, with YouTube with, yeah. and, and, and with the new honeycomb or with the new ice cream, which one is it? The ice cream sandwich. Yeah, that they're putting on their Apple TV yeah. or Google TV, but yeah, that they're going to have apps and let you have channels on there. Which I think is interesting because Steve Jobs said at D8, was it last year or two years ago, that, that he felt like the Apple TV had to remain a hobby because there was such a, a tight wrap. Right. The there was no go-to-market strategy right. for Apple. But now apparently there is. So I guess stay tuned on that. One more thing related to TV that's worth bringing up is uh, YouTube <laughs> apparently is going to sign official sort of contracts, which I've I think is a good idea. I think that... When you sign official contracts with content makers like Jay Z and Ashton Kutcher, for example, you know maybe that would be worthwhile. I think you know Shaquille O'Neal. That's probably just a funny like you know thing to make exclusive on YouTube, but it serves a point that people want things more on demand. You know, right. on demand was something that kind of emerged from pay per view, 
and is kind of like the de facto way of getting content. It's not. I think it's still working for cable providers who use on demand. Exactly. And I think it's a great revenue stream, but people are expecting that to be the norm. And that's the direction that TV is really headed. It's kind of like things when you want it, you can have it. Right. And if it needs to be watched live, like football, for example, then that's probably not going to change. But. But you've got these things like Apple TV, where the most recent update has the MLB network or the NHL network, where you can you can see the games, you can buy the package and use it just like the NFL network package. Right. So you can watch them live, and you just get that one set of of sports. Right. Yeah, I think that the live packages are something that attracts a small amount of consumers. Right. It's not. But for in the general, mass the mass market is now realizing that the internet is becoming more ubiquitously available right there are certain advantages to having the internet like having things stored and cached and ability to come up on demand and that's and lack of physical media so you see that redbox has hiked their price up netflix has removed you know kind of moving away and kind of totally from the making people think twice about getting the dvd plan and if that's the way things are going, then there ought to be some innovations that go along with that, right? Like right. faster internet, um, you know, better players that don't hog, you know, computer memory life or battery life. Or I, What I find most entertaining, I think I mentioned this once before just in passing, is that as we become more and more reliant on the internet, especially on the go, more and more cellular telephone carriers are saying, hey, you can't have unlimited data anymore, so... The more and more we're relying on the internet, the less and less we're getting it. Right. That's true. That's a good point. I think that the uh, cell phone carriers are out there that, you know, are watching the space develop, you know, instead of being the antagonist, you know, they could actually sign on board and say, well, if you get an AT&T iPhone, you know, you get these channels. For, yeah. For, you can stream them whenever you want, and maybe they can make an agreement with a network. And then they're getting more money to build more towers out and things like that. But right. that makes too much sense. <laughs> <laughs> right. Good ideas are always just good, yes. not executable. Um, anything else on this? Oh, yeah, I think we covered it. All right, I think we're mostly. Good. One more thing. Uh, just. All right, Steve. <laughs> yeah, one more thing is uh, mobile internet. You know. If you go and if you open our site on the iPad and iPhone, it looks pretty good actually. Yeah, um, I mean, but it, not all it sites renders are like well. That. Um, one of the things that uh, that Google has announced is the GoMo initiative, which basically it's it's telling you whether your site is mobile uh, and, and compatible and ready, easy to use. Have you seen this yet? I have not. But okay, I'm so so you name. so you check it out and you can. It's got a phone emulator, so you put in your website whatever that is so you can click on this i right usually there. just use the ios sdk if i want to look at things on right but this will like rate right, you right. it will give you a score so i put in weekly download and i answered a few questions and it told me we had a two out of four and the reason is because you have to zoom in to read text mm. they think that you should be able to read all text right on the front page that's interesting right it's not a bad idea i think that it's definitely you know taking away the exploration factor and on the one hand like seeing content on the first page is really important and having flexible content that goes with mobile and your website is a little bit more powerful than coming up with a completely different mobile site 
that has a bunch of clunky drop downs, looks a little uglier. I mean, right. there are some nice design mobile websites, and there are some very bad design Most mobile Most reader websites. websites, though, I found to be kind of tacky, to be honest with you. You like, mean like the WordPress ported mobile right. sites? Or I mean like, for, like even sites like ours where it's mostly just you read articles. Like a lot of times they're not implemented very well, I don't think, uh, as a mobile site, mm-hmm. personally. Um, as you said, there are lots of like drop downs and they're just tacky and you've got right. to go here, go do this. So. Um, too many clicks to get right. to the content. Whereas with, you know, weekly download, I haven't created a mobile site or anything because, and, and lately, you know, the thing about it is, is that you can port any of this content into an RSS reader. You right. can... Uh, you can view it online. You can view it on their iPad, which is a great form factor. A lot of, but if you have a phone, if you have a cell phone, it's really not that hard to tap in and zoom. Oh, you double click and it goes right to the middle of the content, right. and you can read it, and it so, flows perfectly. If you want to get the gist of what's going on, you're usually going to stay on the first page. The click-through rate is probably not going to be that high. Right. I'd be curious. Actually, I wonder. So, did you? So, we were talking about this earlier before the show got started. Have you seen TheVerge.com? I have now. We so, talked about it before. Yeah. So TheVerge.com is Joshua Topolsky's, Topolowski, I can't say it, um, his new uh, venture that span off of This Is My Next. It's now completely taking place of it. So actually, The Verge has a mobile website. So if you look at The Verge, though, it's like a piece of art. It's got so many tiles, so many things going on, a lot of drop-downs, a lot of dynamic content, Beautiful looking stuff, but schizophrenic yeah, at it's best. So busy. Like the first thing I said when we sat there, I'm like, "Wow, this is really busy." So check this out. This is the iPhone version of that. On the iPad, it renders normally. On the iPhone version, you've either got top stories, which looks like you're limited to one unless this changes, recent stories, and then at the bottom, a bunch of menus. So let's click on one HD and Home, for example. If I click on HD and Home, then I see those stories. I do a lot of scrolling. Um, so I think this is pretty nice. I, I like this because it still it doesn't take away from you wanting to read content on your phone, but the excerpts are missing that you get on the web for one right. thing. Um, but it does load fast. It is pretty nice. Too bad you can't click on the picture for some reason. You have to only click on the title. So, yeah, they're really trying to squeeze everything in on the mobile factor. And, you know, that's another problem, right? That's yeah. another huge problem when it comes to designing for mobile. What do you take away? What do you add? And you have to understand the core functionality of your site in order to make those decisions. Um, when, when it comes to The Verge, if you look at, you know, their intro post, they talk about how you can make comparisons of things. And I assume on the iPhone, you probably can't do that with the most level of functionality. So what happens when you have to make these sort of trade-offs? It's interesting to me. And then when you look at weekly download, we don't have a whole lot of those kind of... We don't have to make a whole lot of trade-offs because it's simple from the get-go. I mean, we've designed it kind of like a Google design where you're not really supposed to go to the site, really. You can go to the site, and there's stuff for you here, but you really should be subscribing to it or listening to podcasts or going on Twitter kind of going through it. You act through the website. Right. Whereas... You know, if you go to Apple's website or something like that, that's not, it's for, it's for bringing yeah. you to it. So, and by the way, when I look at The Verge 2, one of the nice things about it is it does pull you in. Yeah, I mean, I you know, was just like sitting You do, there, you yeah. kind of want to poke around and explore it, you know. Right. 
And that's one way of doing it. On the other hand, Google, it's not trying to pull you in. It's trying to you get, you get your stuff the and you, and then get and you move out. Yeah. So, interesting. so that was the design blitz episode of weekly download. Yeah. So I guess probably next week, maybe more, maybe less. Eh, we'll see what happens. Anyway. Probably a little more content, less design and theory. Yup. Yep. All right. Well, as usual, this podcast could be sponsored by you. Yep. And uh, see you next week. See you next week.